0: Episode 33, The Oscars Special.
1: Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast that dares to imagine sequels to your favorite films and movie franchises. Take a journey into the realm of cinematic possibilities with your hosts, Adam, Jeff, Justin, and Jeremy. Let the adventure begin now.
2: The nominees for Podcasts Most Likely to Inspire a Feature Film are Schwartz and Flickers, a.k.a. Future Films for Arnold, Celluloid Afterburner, Sequel Quest, and Films I Woulda Shoulda Coulda Made. And the winner is... Congratulations, Sequel Quest! Adam Pope, Jeff Campbell Smith, and Jeremy Hubbard, producer... Oh wow, I, I really thought Schwartz and Flickers was gonna get this. You guys are amazing. Uh, I didn't have anything prepared. Well, I'd just like to thank the Academy for finally getting it right. <laughs> uh, my co-host Jeff, Jeremy, Justin. We couldn't do it you know without the without the group here and uh, of course Joe Piscopo, you were there from the beginning, man. you're a rock. All right, uh, love and peace to the universe. Thank you.
0: <laughs>
1: there you have it. <sighs> and welcome to this the first annual sequel quest. Oscar's special, I guess. Sounds about right. I don't know what to call this technically. <laughs> the Oscar Tacular? <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so
0: wait, before we begin, Adam, do you spend as much time on your preparing your intro as you do on your sequel? Is it of equal even sort of a thing? Or
2: <laughs> uh, I'll be honest, the 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 stuff up top is always comes out a lot easier.
0: <laughs> I can
2: spout <laughs> nonsense that I can do. I believe it. So it's a special night, and we have a special guest.
1: Well, let's, let's go around the horn. Tonight's layout and format is a little different than a normal show. It's going to be similar to, say, our X-Men show, the mashup show, or an upcoming spy show. But, rather than teasing all these fun episodes, tonight we're talking Oscar-nominated films They're from across the board. We've got Best Picture. We've got some that were snubbed. Actually, I think mine even got snubbed from Best Picture. So, I mean, we'll just say they were either nominated or snubbed for Best Picture. But anyway, I digress. So, let's go around the horn. Who do I have here in the studio with me? Uh, It's me again, Colton.
3: Hi, how you doing, y'all?
2: Hey, from Sequel Chat, I know you.
3: I know me too. Thank you. (laughs)
2: and we're all thankful for that
1: and on the interwebs via the magician called skype we have
2: it's adam yep it's me again and
1: jeff i am here you sound kind of timid there jeff well
0: Well, he doesn't know himself that's the problem (laughs) exactly that's the problem i wish i was as confident as colton but i i
1: i (laughs) someday
0: Someday. Someday. When I grow up.
1: Let's get down to business. Adam, you were talking like you had some ideas on your past Oscars that really touched you or or, like what? Explain yourself a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) Show me on
2: this doll where they touched you. Yeah, (laughs) well, here here's the honest truth uh, about the Oscars. Like, I care about the Oscars as much as I care about another cultural event that just came and went, Mm -hmm. the Super Bowl. Which is to say that I don't. It's it's the the Oscars for me are kind of like an interesting pop culture phenomenon but i don't necessarily respect the academy or their choices in, in most cases but most would say that's because i my taste in movies is very poor i think jeff would back that up. <laughs> so, so that's oh we so all know we all know yeah your choice is poor <laughs> So, like, you know, when when it becomes Oscar time, I've either seen one or zero of the nominated films in the major categories, you know, and I know some of the actors. Uh, so it, it's just kind of a strange relationship I have. However... Like, over the years, like, I, I'll I'll tune in, like, probably, like, every five years or something. I'll just kind of check it out to see what's going on. And I feel like throughout my life, there have been these, like, highlights that had nothing to do with the awards or who was winning, but just, like, the hijinks that take place. And you guys hopefully have some, too, you'd want to spout out there. But, like, my earliest is, like, when Billy Crystal was hosting, like, during a run in, like, the early 90s and City oh, yeah. Slickers had come out. And Jack, Jack Palance comes out and does a one-arm push-up. He's like a 60-year-old man. He just drops down and starts doing one-arm push-ups. Everybody's like, what? Like, that, that was pretty epic. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember... Like I mean, I had seen this film, believe it or not. But uh, when Roberto Benigni kept winning all these awards for *Life is Beautiful*, and he like the first time he literally walks over the audience, he's stepping on the chair arms, and people are just guiding oh, him to the stage. I remember
3: that. That was awesome
2: yeah oh, it was amazing and people were so happy for him you know and obviously he was just like and then eventually like he kept winning these awards and then he's like i use up all of my english you know like he didn't have anything <laughs> else he could say and then all just... that
3: joy died when he made a live action pinocchio movie and despite yeah. being 50 years old he was pinocchio <laughs> i remember well, all of that of goodwill Panther disappeared too. yeah
2: he's the world's clown he, he's ageless come on um now the other one that like this is one of the you know we, we've had the oscars so white thing for the last few years big you know concern on online and everything but well, like well that's remember, why like...
1: they expanded it to 10 nominees for best picture that actually predates that they, they first really for the very first
3: time they did it uh, in the oscar ceremony for the year 2010 long before all this social consciousness began to raise yeah
2: yeah Well, and and one of the ways that they – and I remember seeing this and I was like, for real, guys, you guys are – you're trying too hard. But do you guys remember when 3-6 Mafia won for its heart out there for a pimp? Uh, Yeah.
3: And
2: and that was just like – I was like, I know they're doing this literally just to get heat off themselves. After Eminem got that – yeah,
3: but after Eminem got that Oscar for best song for 8 Mile, nothing surprised me It was wide open. Oh, and and guess who gave it to him? Meryl Streep. Yeah. Oh,
0: that made although the better. best part, the best part, Adam, if you remember, because it was John Stewart, I remember that was hosting when the, the 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 Mafia won, and he came out afterwards. He's like, "How are those guys more excited than any of you people?" And I love <laughs> it was so great because they were they were off the they were off the charts excited about. They it.
2: They were they're they could Jesus. They were just yeah. like they were like everything. They were just could not think of enough people to thank. It was, now the other part of it too is you know there's. Like humor-wise, again, like everybody knows, like there's no best comedy category, you know, at the Academy Awards, right? It's it's a subjective art form, comedy, we know. But like one of the best moments that just hit it on the nail was when Jack Black and John C. Riley and Will Ferrell sang this song about, you know, how how comedians get no respect at the Oscars, oh, yeah. and <laughs> and it was, I, and of course, like just the ending. The ending was Del Taco, Del Taco. Like I just the nonsense of it was great. What did you think when you were running around that racetrack in your underwear? What did you think? I thought they'd love me. <laughs> that's just like, now, now hold uh, on.
1: I thought comedies were roped in with uh, musical. And so they get no love. The Golden
0: Globes. Uh, the the yeah. Golden Globes have yeah. their separate
1: category.
2: Yeah. 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 Now, well, it's interesting, and that's yeah.
0: even like way before that. Is that it? was always uh, Rodney Dangerfield's big. He would always protest the Oscars over that because he said Oscar hates comedies and they don't understand all they really vote for is drama. But they don't call it best drama; they just call it best, best movie. Feature, yeah. But yeah, you never see. I mean, like people will say, "Well, they gave it to Forrest Gump." Who really considered Forrest Gump a comedy? I, I don't. <laughs> just because you chuckle every now uh, and again. I mean, the right. same thing with The Martian. They called The Martian a comedy because really? he made potatoes. It won Best Comedy in uh, the Golden Globes. I musical did not comedy. hear
2: that. Wow.
0: Yeah, that was last year. Yeah. And even Matt Damon was kind of like, well...
2: <laughs> Thank you?
1: <laughs> now but it's, it's funny... The oh. other big question is... Do we have too many of these award shows? Because it just seems like it's self-aggrandizement every time. It's like, oh, there's another award show. Really? Well, I don't know. I feel like in this world where
0: apparently the entire world stopped because Beyonce announced she was pregnant. Yeah, why some R and B singer that I have never met? It that the fact that she's pregnant is supposed to matter to my life? I don't know, but it does to millions and millions of people. So, you know, to, to get a chance for these celebrities to you know be trotted out on stage because they don't really get a whole lot of opportunities outside of award shows to you know like be in the public. I outside of like TMZ and that sort of stuff like that,
2: like on their own terms, you mean? Yeah, like well, yeah, with their own yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I I would think that the reason I appreciate the fact that there's a lot of award shows is because the Golden Globes does make different choices. A lot of people see it as a lot of times a precursor. Oh, you could predict what the Oscars are going to be, but I feel like they're they take a lot more risks. I mean, Deadpool, right? I mean, it was, (laughs) you know, with the Golden Globes. You know what I'm saying? So like they, and you know, even like simple stuff like the Kids' Choice Awards or the MTV, you know, movie awards, like, again, they're gonna, like, they're going to reach out in different directions than the Academy Awards are. So I'm glad it's not just a one-stop shop. You know, it's like you you only get an award for the Academy Awards and nothing else matters. Like, you know, maybe you don't want a Cable Ace Award, but everything else. Well,
0: you'll take it, it, heck, if you get nothing else. But I do (laughs) feel like, I don't know, because the Oscars does have a certain level of prestige about it still, even with, you know, some of the things over the years or anything like that. It's kind of like, winning an Oscar is the ultimate award in this, you know, arena. And it's so funny, though, like, and that's the thing that has always kind of bugged me as someone who has acted before, is the the fact that, like, if you think about it, like, best actor doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Because it's not like somebody is going to... Have a horrible role that was written badly and poorly directed, but their acting just you know, brings it up above everything. Those aren't the people that get nominated. It's the people that get brilliantly written roles. I mean, again, you know, Tom Hanks won for Forrest Gump. Look at the role that was written for him. Yeah, he did something with it, but he had an amazingly written role that he performed. And so it's this weird thing. But in the movie and theater world, it's all about who gets the biggest applause at the end of the night. It's all about the stardom and everything like that and being recognized for your awesomeness, I think, is there is some sort of pride that goes in, I think, to performing. Mm. And I don't know, maybe that's what's kind of on display in these awards shows.
2: I, I would agree. I mean, I, I think that's that's definitely where where it's at. And, you know, you you get the accolades from the public and whatever, but I think it matters more to the people in the film industry to get, you know, an award from the people who they work with telling us, yes. I agree you're the best. I'm not just someone in the world who just thinks you're beautiful or I'm not someone in the world who loves your loves your movies, you know, cuz they're so they're so touching. Like it's like no no, this person knows what they're talking about and they gave me an award. Now it matters, you know, now I care, you know, about that opinion. So they care about the money that the public gives them. <laughs> they care about the acclaim of their peers. Yeah. So
0: it's a um, weird thing and I know we've kind of talked about like my wife and I have kind of talked about that you know, and it's become a trend. I even saw a news article on it on CNN where, yet again, the top eight grossing movies of 2016, none of them were nominated for Best Picture. And, like, this is happening year after year after year that these movies that are called the best movies are not the ones that people are seeing. And, and it, it's kind of like, I feel like, Back in the day, there wasn't as huge of a separation. I mean, Titanic won because everybody saw Titanic. Rocky won, you know, like back in those. And I mean, it got kind of criticized for winning because it was so popular. And now, again, there seems to be more and more of a of a divergent between what people are seeing and what, you know, the Academy or whoever say is quality film.
2: Yeah, well, and that's why I say that, like, it's an award given by the industry. It's not an award given by the public, absolutely. Right. But Colton, I'm curious because th- this is, like, I, I I've already admitted I don't generally uh, go for the for the Oscar films. I catch up with them like ten, fifteen years later when they've been <laughs> in the public consciousness so long, they've been pop culture referenced and satirized forever. Basically, I you've go been head over the, the head, and
3: you want to know what it's about.
2: Exactly. Yeah. but I, And I know Jeremy. Jeremy very much in the superhero world, you know, get, gets into that. Jeff and uh, his wife have very good taste in films as well. A lot of times I hear recommendations from them. <laughs> I know they get to see those things. But Colton, I know you kind of live for like, you know, like quality films and you seek them out. So maybe leading into your pitch, I'm just curious to know, like this year, how many of the nominated films did you see and kind of where did you come up? feeling you know just your thoughts on the year in film
3: can i be honest with you
2: yeah i was
3: we would hope (laughs) i was so mad that the film that i thought was the best film i'd seen over the past year was not nominated it's like this anger darkened my mind and i don't even remember what the nominees are for best picture i am all right well let let, let me let me
2: read about to you here okay yeah so we have we have la la land Moonlight, Hell or High Water, Hacksaw Ridge, Hidden Figures, Manchester by the Sea, Fences, Lion, and Arrival.
3: Okay, I did not see La La Land. So many of those are indie flicks. I did see Hacksaw Ridge, but man, that was a while ago. I mean, (laughs) I think it was like maybe October when I saw it. So it's not very vividly on my mind. It was couple of weeks before they announced the nominations that i saw martin scorsese's latest film silence i don't know have you guys seen that or at least heard about it sure yeah. i just heard about
2: it like oh. just like today but i had not heard about <laughs> it prior to that
3: <laughs> yeah so uh yeah my pitch is going to be about that film uh before i start should i tell you a little bit about the film itself so that uh yeah
2: let, yeah catch us up yeah follow let's up go into sense.
3: It. yeah all right, so Martin Scorsese has been trying to get this film made for about 30 years. It is based on a true story that takes place in about the 1600s of uh, Christian missionaries going to Japan and trying to spread what they believe. And people talk about persecution today. They don't know what persecution is until they've seen this film. Um, the main character, well, even though he's a real person, uh, for some reason Martin Scorsese decided to change up the names a little bit. and As a result, I have trouble remembering the changed-up names. So we'll just say Andrew Garfield, all right? And uh, Andrew Garfield basically is on a quest to seek out his mentor, because his mentor, played by Liam Neeson, went to Japan many years before him. He was there a long time, and the persecutions began to flare up, and these whispers start coming out that uh, he had apostatized, that he had denounced his faith and Mm -hmm. had given up on Christianity. And This mentor just meant the entire world to him And he's like, there's no way that happened No way, I have to go find out for myself So he goes, and he takes a companion with him And this companion is played by Adam Driver And even though Adam Driver doesn't have a whole lot of screen time Boy He's got way more range than just Kylo Ren Let me tell you, he's just uh, Gosh, I don't want to spoil it But uh, Adam Driver, there's just this scene of him Basically putting his life on the line for someone else And it's just one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen I don't want to give it away. You need to see the film for yourself. But anyways, the whole film is his journey in uh, meeting people and people who've already converted. He's giving them their sacraments. Finally, there comes a point in which there was a guy who he apostatized, but he kept coming back. And it's almost a running joke throughout the film. This guy, at the worst possible moments, he'll apostatize again. And then he'll repent and come back again. And uh, in this film's narrative, a... Apostatizing isn't just simply renouncing with your lips. They take a picture of the Virgin Mary and Jesus, and they force you to step on it as part of your apostasy. As a result, Andrew Garfield gets captured. Gosh, I thought I thought I knew about all the different types of torture that was possible to do. They there I was shown some new ones in this film, and it's pretty ugly. Eventually, one day he does run into Liam Neeson, and it is indeed true Liam Neeson did apostatize. And he gives this really long list of reasons for why he finally apostatized. Not just the pain and suffering he went through, but the pain and suffering his converts went through. Uh, He convinced himself that they were never even really converted to begin with. They just simply equated the son with Jesus Christ. And he keeps trying to get Andrew Garfield to apostatize. And he even does it to the point that he starts to enable some of the torture to happen. They line up a whole bunch of converts in front of him and they start going through this torture routine on them. And you know Andrew is saying, "Why are you making them suffer because of me?" And in Liam Neeson, he flat out tells him, "They've already apostatized ten times over, but we're going to keep making them suffer until you personally apostatize." Wow! And all throughout the film, he's just having these internal monologues of struggle, and he's just wondering, you know. And that's why the film is called Silence, because he just feels like he's praying and he's not getting any answers to all these horrors that he's watching around him. And then finally, not not I meaning mean to make a pun, but it's true, silence happens complete silence he can't hear their suffering he can't hear the tormentors he can't even hear himself breathe he's just completely all years of silence and all of a sudden he hears the lord's voice speaking to him saying please step on me for the sake of all these people it, it, You know, it was my choice to be who I am so please just go ahead and step on me and so he just in slow motion he just collapses into a pile of just sadness and weeping as he steps on the image he gives <laughs> himself up and throughout the rest of the film It's kind of an extended epilogue, not unlike Lord of the Rings, (laughs) where it shows him living out the rest of his life, basically being a Buddhist, basically um, making sure that Christian imagery is never allowed into the country, basically being an instrument of their government, making sure Christianity doesn't function in their country anymore. And then finally, it shows him living to a ripe old age with a Japanese wife, and when he passes away, the time comes to put him up in his own little special casket and uh, basically give him a Jedi burial setting it on fire, and at the, the final shot of the film is the camera going inside the casket, going into his hands, and zooming in, and deep in his hands, you can see a little crucifix that he never gave up. And that's the final shot of the film, and I was just like, wow, you know, that's power. So, when the Oscars come around, and they say, oh, a little technical nomination for this film, I'm just like... You've lost your credibility, Academy. I'm well, sorry. it
2: sounds like this was a, a very religious and intense year for Andrew Garfield because I know that Hacksaw Ridge has also, you know, mm-hmm. the, the kind of a Christian theme and element to it where he's struggling to, you know, go along with the you know the situation that he's in and so i think that yeah that's maybe they just had to choose one or the other they're like look we love andrew garfield this year uh-huh. but here's this one and we want to give mel gibson a, a a you know a line back into the industry i wonder if they're just trying to i don't know why they would mel want to do that that
0: doesn't seem like oh poor mel gibson i don't think
2: <laughs> <laughs> thought no one ever if i have the reasons <laughs> hollywood politics OK, so now that sounds this is another thing I was saying about this year is like so much of this stuff. It feels like there's a lot of like based on a true story in, in many respects. So how do you how did you then propose to continue this story? I'm, I'm very curious, Colton.
3: Well, it'd be nice to meet another person who worked in the monastery that Andrew Garfield's character worked in. Somebody who was inspired by him, somebody who trained under him. Even if it wasn't in an official capacity, just simply a colleague who looked up to him. And he goes on a similar journey where he goes and tries to find out what happened to Andrew Garfield. And on this journey, he meets people who... Because you have to understand, uh, around the time Andrew Garfield was captured, just the persecutions just escalated. The tortures just got off the charts. I would like to see a person who goes and sees how the faith is still surviving in the midst of all this escalation hearing rumors that uh, Andrew Garfield kept the faith, hearing rumors that he didn't keep the faith and then finally towards the end of his journey he meets the guy's wife and the wife Andrew Garfield's wife and she flat out tells him "You know, yeah, he did abandon the faith and he he, he died a Buddhist and he's ready to collapse in agony because he can't believe that the person he looked up to fell apart for this, but he goes to visit the grave, he goes to visit where the the burnt casket is, and in his grief he can't help but peek inside. But then he sees the little crucifix that was at the end of the first film, and that renews his hope. That was the basic gist of the the pitch that I hmm. wanted to do. Not the most thorough pitch in the world, but I just wanted a journey that kind of mirrored that. Yeah. But ended with them keeping their faith because, well, them keeping their faith on the surface because they're inspired by somebody who is at least able to keep their faith underneath.
2: Yeah, very interesting. No, I mean it sounds like that's very much in the vein of that of what you described. So it would, yeah, it would fit in that that universe and that tone and that feeling. So, wow, yeah. That mm-hmm. <laughs> this this was a as most people listeners know this is this is a stretch for us for getting into our our dramatic side and getting into our you know, kind of dipping into humanity with a lot of these pitches. So yeah, no, that was that was really interesting
0: we don't usually deal with humanity here no no definitely so not <laughs> just
3: fart jokes it's
0: exactly fart jokes bug people you know That's mud how wrestling you
2: roll. whatever oh, you have you. mud wrestling <laughs> that's what was missing this year from the nominees maybe i would have seen more films i, I bet know. you would have yeah, the mud wrestling category Oh, speaking of which, um, no, uh, I, but I, I was just going to say one of the things as we jump into the next pitch here, I think it's so interesting because uh, so, Colton, you didn't see La La Land. Anybody here see La La Land?
0: No. Uh, my wife did, but I did not.
2: OK, because that just it, that is the film that I've heard the most about. Like prior to the Oscars, like just on all the podcasts that I listen to that are like Hollywood actors that have a podcast, they're always like, Oh, did you see La La Land? Like everybody brings it up all the time and, and then it got a nomination. Like, and it's, it is like the front runner to win. And I just think well, it's it, so interesting. Like, it, uh, it,
0: oh, I'm sorry. It crushed the Golden Globes. Like, they yeah. took every, almost every Golden Globe they were nominated for. So, yeah, that's why there's such a big buzz. Yeah. I mean, and that's I, maybe I, not I, why, but that's
2: connected. It's it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you can see, like, yes, Hollywood people are going to relate to that story, so of course they're going to vote for it. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, they're finally telling a story that makes sense. So yeah, this is our struggle. It's finally being represented, you know, like but in a fantastical way. Like, that's I'm just so curious to, like, see how that goes over with all the other more intense films, you know, like, you know, that that will probably win and what what the reaction is going to be after the fact. But anyway, I I I
0: feel my impression with La La Land is that uh, I don't know. I get more of the sense that it's it's a musical in an era where musicals are not done as much anymore. mm -hmm. And to do a musical starring Ryan Gosling and starring Emma Stone is just kind of like, what? A musical? And John Legend, too. Uh, And it's not animated. Exactly it's right not animated and and I mean like the last big musical was probably Chicago and Chicago won best Picture, which even that was kind of crazy for a musical to win back then so although I, I for me personally I don't think La La land will win because I think it's the curse of the Golden Globes because however many years ago, 15 years ago or whatever, the Golden Globes loved Evita and Evita crushed the Golden Globes and Antonio Banderas and Madonna and everybody was just crushing. And then it didn't even get nominated for best picture. So I have a feeling. Yeah. Oscars is going to be like, yeah, musicals. I don't know.
2: they like comedy. We'll we don't get we it. We shall see.
1: <laughs> All right, Jeff, Adam, one of you want to go next? Uh, I can go. I, oh, go unless Jeff, you want,
0: yeah. did you want, uh, yeah, oh, Jeff spoke okay. first. I did speak first. Okay, so I chose to do uh, Fences, um, which I do want to preface, because for those of you that are unfamiliar with Fences, uh, Fences is actually a uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning play that uh, the revival was actually starring on Broadway, uh, um, Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, and then they turned it into a a film. So I do want to kind of caveat that because writing a sequel to a Pulitzer Prize winning play is kind of a bold maneuver so I, I want to do it with all due humility um, but just to kind of give you a, a rundown of guess of what Fences is all about again it's a, it's based on the, uh, a 1989 play that won the Pulitzer Prize and then won the Tony for best play. It's about uh, Denzel Washington's character that he uh, is a 50 uh, something year old garbage man who lives in um, kind of like the, the backside of We've, we don't actually know, but it's actually Pittsburgh. He was a big-time... This is in, like, the 50s, and this he was a big-time uh, Negro Leagues... Am, I'm forgetting what it's called. Uh-huh. Anyway, baseball player. And he was, like, a really big player, but then by the time Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, he was too old, and so he never made it, so he kind of has a chip on his shoulder. and um, It kind of follows him and his family, and we really get the idea that he believes very strongly that his job what his job as a man and as a husband and as a father is that he's he's supposed to protect his family and provide for his family and that's his job and his role and so the reason it's called fences is that he's building this fence during the entire movie and the fence we kind of piece together that it kind of represents him trying to protect his family and but then we later kind of figure that um well he ends up revealing that he on the side has had an affair with the woman who is now pregnant and the reason he did that is because he was so focused on protecting and providing for his family that he never cared for himself and blah 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 and so he tries to justify it but then the mistress ends up dying in childbirth so then he brings the baby home and asks his wife if she would raise the baby which she agrees to do because she says the baby is innocent of your sins but basically like i'll take the baby but you're you're done so he continues to live there but he's you know their relationship is dead and uh and then their son wants to join the football team but clearly or not join the football team he's being recruited into college and he clearly like like uh denzel's character clearly like has the the remnants of i wasn't treated fair so therefore like you won't be treated fair either and so he doesn't let him be on the football team or anything like that so finally, they end up having this big conflict. the The son Corey he ends up leaving and moving out, joining the Marine Corps. Uh, and then years later, um, <clears throat> after Denzel has died, he comes back. The son comes back and like doesn't want to go to his father's funeral, but his mom is trying to tell him that look, like you are your dad's son, and like some of the things that you know we pass on. This is just who you are and you need to embrace that and blah 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 and so there's a lot of other things that kind of go on along the way again it is a play so there's no action that takes place at any point it's all just kind of the the dialogue and the drama of everything that kind of goes on but um that's kind of the gist uh it's very reminiscent for me it was very reminiscent of um uh, for those of you in high school that might have read uh the death of a salesman uh, or even, Adam, like if you remember Lost in Yonkers and the kind of that whole idea of like cousin, or what was your name? Uncle Louie and about his identity <laughs> and how he found his identity in his persona and everything like that. Very, a lot of those themes kind of come out um, with obviously the, the overtone that, um, you know, this is a black family in a black neighborhood dealing with uh, black issues as well. So all that being said, my sequel... Uh, I didn't have a brilliant name. The only name I could come up with was fenced in, but I didn't want it to sound too cheesy. So that was kind of the closest I came. So anyway, mine would take place 15 years after uh, the story in Fences. And Corey, um, the son, has now finished his his service in the the Marine Corps and has moved back into his family's home to take care of his mom because his mom would be about 75 or 80 at that point. And so he moves back in, and he has a. Um, I mean, this takes place before the the sh- movie would actually begin, but uh, we figure it out that he had moved into his family home, take care of his mom. Uh, he starts like I would think like maybe a repair business or like something salesy, repairy, kind of lower middle class kind of an idea. Um, and he's living in uh, living in the the home. He's got a family, wife, kids, things like that. And kind of a an undertone throughout the entire film, I would see would be that fence that his dad built is still there, but now it's twenty two years old, and so it's kind of fallen apart. And so kind of one of the the themes that I would want to see in the movie would Corey would be kind of constantly trying to mend and repair that fence. He was always he'd always be working on that fence um, to keep it going. Um, Corey, uh, his personality is that he doesn't talk much, not like w- in a weird sense, but just like, he's not very conversational. So he doesn't talk much to his children. He doesn't talk much to his wife. That's caused problems both in his parenting and in his being a, uh, a, a husband, uh, even in his business, he doesn't, um, you know, interact terribly well with the customers. He ends up getting pushed around so that people come in and they complain about, you know, like you, didn't repair this properly, and he ends up kind of like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and like bending over backwards, and so his business is failing. Yeah, his relationship with his kids is, is not going well because of that as well. Um, along the lines, again, same sort of a thing with the original, whereas the original, because it was based on a play, it was much more dialogue-based, so there's not going to be a lot of action. Um, some scenarios that I would see coming up would be at one point Probably towards the end, um, his mother would be in ailing health, and uh, at one point, probably again, probably towards the end of the movie, I would see her dying and him dealing with that. One thing from the original film was that their uncle Gabriel, so it was her, her his father's dad, was uh, injured in World War II, and so he he kept hallucinating and thinking that the devil was trying to chase him and things like that. Uh, I thought that would be one of the themes that the mom, before she dies, brings up is that Gabriel is in the hospital now that he's about 80 years old. But Corey really doesn't care about his uncle. And then the the big kind of climax that I would see would there be, and I don't know how, I mean, again, since this is 15 years later, so this would be in like the 70s. So I don't know. Again, this movie, this the original movie wasn't terribly... About race per se. There was a racial overtone. And I mean, again, it was a black family. The primary struggle wasn't with race. So I don't think that the sequel should be either. But I still see the climax as being the wife gets assaulted. So I don't know if that has to be a race thing. Maybe it's better if it's not. But the wife gets assaulted and Corey doesn't react to that. And that, mm. not so much the assault, but the fact that he doesn't spring to comfort her. He doesn't spring to protect her. He doesn't do anything along those lines that's what brings up the conflict between him and his wife and his kids and everything kind of comes to a head and we find out again with the allegory of the fence all along is the fact that Corey is still living in the shadow of his father he hated everything about his father so he's trying so hard to not be his father that in a reverse sort of way he's become just the same sort of a thing where he's going through the motions without that connection, just like his father was. And so the climax, unlike the original movie, I would want to change it, where in Fences, the point was, you know, you are who you are and you're your father's son, whether you like it or not. I would want this to be, yes, you are your father's son. Now you have the choice. What kind of a father, what kind of a man do you want to be? Do you want to be this guy? Do you want to be someone living in, in the shadow of your father? Or do you want to do something else? And then the movie play, whatever, ends with him tearing down the fence. And that's the end of the movie. Wow.
2: interesting. No, there, that's, there's a lot of good imagery and themes there. Yeah, that sounds like it just like, again, that personal family drama. Yeah. continuing through the generations but yeah no I, I like that a lot that would that would be intense <laughs> in some places you know it's interesting i i found out of this uh because i was you know seeing who's nominated you know the the film is nominated but denzel is not and kind of going back oh, really? to your comment about who you, you know like the the whole concept of you know it's it's the the film itself it's not necessarily the actor who should get best actor just because mm. the film is great or vice versa you know um so i think it's interesting in this case they've said you know the film is a whole it's not one performance though he is it would appear the main character although viola davis got a nomination but
0: yeah and she um, won the golden globe too so that's that's kind of surprising it's funny too because he won the tony when he did this on broadway for best actor yeah on this on the on the stage and he not only did he star in this he also directed it so i don't know if he's up for best director
2: but oh interesting yeah. i didn't look yeah i i don't i don't see him on director either so i i think uh oh. denzel is not in the running this year but he has a best supporting actor and a and a best actor you know exactly. in his uh, on his mantle <laughs> already so he's okay yeah Uh, But Colton, I know you have to go, but I'm just curious. Oh, Colton has already left. Oh, Oh, he already left. (laughs) (laughs) He had to leave. (laughs) Jeff, he was just too heartbroken by your pitch. I was going to ask who he was rooting for, despite the fact that his choice was snubbed. But we'll get to that another time. Uh, All right. Well, I think I'll jump in then here. All
1: right. Take over, Adam. I kind of want to go last. We'll bookend this with snubs but <laughs> both of yours are up for best picture i believe
2: okay that is true so um, and just to preface this as well for those uh, listeners who don't know uh i made some changes a couple months back i'm actually living on a navajo indian reservation now um and so i'm in the middle of nowhere i'm about an hour <laughs> away from from civilization and so for me to see films, it has to stream. And it's very hard to stream if it's HD. So, you know, it's just like I could I could not find through legal means any of the Oscar nominated films. So I had to go on basically, you know, YouTube clips, interviews, everything just to get the details of this performance. And I think for the film I've chosen, I've I've really gotten the essence of it. And it just spoke to me as soon as I kind of read the description initially Um, I chose the film Lion, uh, which is a film starring Nicole Kidman, Dev Patel, if you'll you'll remember from Slumdog Millionaire several years ago, and Rooney Mara, who's directed by a guy named Garth Davis. Um, The basic plot, it's actually very simple, and it's based on a true story. It's about um, a five-year-old boy in India who gets separated from his family one night after falling asleep on a train. And he ends up thousands of miles from his home, and he, so he's a 5 year old lost on the streets of calcutta and he kind of just manages to survive some challenges he almost drowns he almost gets abducted there's these different things that happen before he's actually uh taken to a, a prison and ultimately uh put in you know an orphanage situation where he's adopted by an australian couple uh and lives with them in tasmania um and what happens is he lives with them for 25 years. You know, they raise him, they are his family, they love him. And at a certain point, he he just realizes he starts having these flashes of memory of what his life was. And he comes to the realization, my mother and my brother for 25 years have been wondering if I'm alive for 25 years, they've been in pain, wondering where I am. And what must that be like for them? I've got to find them. But he, he, he was five years old. He doesn't really know where he lived. He doesn't, you know, have a recollection of his address. You know what I'm saying? But he doesn't have family connections there. And so he takes Google Earth and uses Google Earth and the few flashing memories he has and tries to just feel his way essentially with his heart with, you know, and then using some, just general common sense and make his way back to his family. And like I said, this is based on a true story. This really happened just a few years ago when Google Earth launched. He realized, oh, I have a tool I could use somehow. And so anyway, that that's that's the story. And he does find his mother, you know, he does, you know, all of that. There is the reunion and all of those things. Um, So it's it's a pretty touching tale. But you realize it's It's kind of that whole concept of, well, I have this family that loved me, that took care of me, and now I I have my birth family, and kind of where are my loyalties, and where's the heartbreak, and where's the, you know, the kind of the healing from finding them, and all those things are in there, Um, so Again, being based on a true story, it's one of those things. It's like, well, you're going to do a story about that guy's life again, you know, or are you going to do a prequel about his life before
0: something else interesting. Otherwise, yeah. How how
2: interesting <laughs> are you, you know, working wherever you work? Um, but no, my so my thought was the the themes that are there is really like the love between mothers and sons, and kind of that that connection and what that can mean and what that can drive you to accomplish, or what it can, you know. Redemption, things of that nature. So I decided to take create a new f- story with similar themes in a you know different exotic setting, different uh, characters, but that I feel represents that that film universe in a way. So my film is called Lioness, and uh, it's about a Brazilian woman named Nea who is the proud mother of a a 12 year old son. He's just her world. His name is Danilo. And, uh, but they both in secret, they live in fear of her abusive and unfaithful husband named Paulo, who uh, he married Nea when she was just a naive young 18 year old orphan had just been released from the foster care system in Rio de Janeiro, just found a beautiful girl he felt he could, you know, pull into his world and be in control of. Um, so one night Nea intervenes. Uh, Paulo comes home drunk, just as violently, kind of taking out his frustrations of the day on their son. And in this kind of desperate struggle, she accidentally kills Paulo and Nea is arrested and convicted of murder because her husband was a beloved public official, so in public he's this wonderful human. At home, he's this monster, and of course they see her as some sort of conniving, you know, person just wanted to take over, get his money, whatever it was. So now she's convicted, and in that struggle, in that time, you know, obviously Danilo is uh, in transit, supposed to be put into a foster home, but he's heard the horror stories from his mother of growing up as a child and a teenager, as a ward of the state and all the things she went through. So he takes off and he disappears and then it flashes forward. And now it's five years later. And uh, Naya obviously has been worrying about her son and trying to get, you know, released from prison. So she is released on appeal finally. And as she's out there with nothing, essentially, um, she begins the search for her son in this dense metropolis of Rio de Janeiro with, with her 6.4 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the search takes Nea on this journey kind of of self-discovery because she's reliving her own tragic experiences of, as an orphan on the streets in these you know, dangerous favelas of Rio. And now she's back in that world again. And so she's using social media to try to find her son to track him. And she manages to do so with the help of, a childhood friend of hers. It was kind of a street smart kid that she hung around with, named Wanderlei. And so Naya begins to uncover this sad truth about her son and the life he's now living. He's kind of this right hand man, of this pimp and human trafficker uh, guy who once is actually the person who was holding Naya captive and tried to force her into a life of this underage prostitution. And she managed to escape, you know, and that's where she ended up in the the foster care system and all of that. But when he is found, when when uh, she finds her son, she finds Danilo's very, just very bitter and, and brainwashed by, by this lifestyle. And he doesn't want to leave this position of power that he has, you know, in kind of this criminal underworld that he's so entrenched in. So now she finds herself in the middle of this fight for freedom for herself because now she's in this kind of world where, you know, uh she's a beautiful woman there's kind of people after her they know her her tale and and she's trying to stay there to get her son out who doesn't want to leave and so it the kind of the themes that start playing out is like you know can this mother's love really save her son's soul kind of bring him back and have forgiveness in his heart and whatever it might be that can release him from what she knows he's ended up in. Can old friends really be trusted? This Wanderley guy led her over there, but there's a, you know, I'd, I'd planned kind of a betrayal in that, that he was really working for the, the, the big boss guy. And then there's also just the concept of, are some people just destined to be victims? Are some people just, gonna have one difficulty after the other and always be in a bad situation and can you overcome that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness so that's that's really the the gist of the film you know i don't i won't give it all away you know for the end and let's tease it you know come on hollywood tease give it. Me a call. What? but, <laughs> but no but you yeah, know so it, it's one of, it's one of those things i just felt like it's more about you know there's the plot the things that happen but but it. It's more about uh, just kind of the essence of that of that relationship and what can be done. So, <laughs> sorry to leave you hanging. Oh, oh man! Lord. Don't
1: <laughs> tease us with true stories like oh, yeah. this. Truly false <laughs> alternative <laughs> stories. False. False.
0: Alternative. Uh, but that
1: is the one thing that I did. You know, I should throw out there
0: is that, as is evident from what we're seeing here, is that Oscar loves a good like heartwarming story i don't think oscar really likes the end where you just kind of go and no you're stuck in a life of horror for the rest of your lifetime
2: Mm -hmm. well that's that's kind of you know my thought I'll, i'll reveal a little bit about it you know as far as like the ending i just my my thought is that um you know there there probably would be a sacrifice made on one side of it so it's not the happiest of endings but there's a resolution and release from the hatred and from all those things for one of the characters, you know, so there would be some, some type of happy ending and kind of a growth and a progression of that character. But Um, I still feel like, you know, yes, they like a happy ending, but at the same time, if you give an actress and an actor, you know, someone something really deep to deal with, it may not get best picture because of the resolution, but the performance itself may may, you know, elicit a best actress or best supporting actor or whatever it might be, you know, nominations. Right.
0: And even if not, I mean, like a heartwarming story that doesn't take any sacrifice to get to is kind of like, what's the point? You
2: know, exactly.
0: So now, what, what, Adam, you were saying, like, for the original, in the original movie, what why was it called Lion? What was that all about?
2: That that I actually never got to the bottom of. But in, oh. in none, none of the, uh, you know, stuff that I was reading or the interviews I was watching, nobody asked that question, which I thought was <laughs> strange. Because I was like, yeah, what is this lion thing? Now, I'm assuming if I saw the whole film, maybe there's some imagery or maybe there's some, you know, he, maybe his older brother – called him that as a nickname i don't know mm. um but yeah it's it was one of those things where i was just like huh yeah I, i'm getting no explanation on lion
1: right that's probably one of the fragmented memories that he has that that's all he has to go Whoa, off oh of.
2: that would make sense so why yeah. would
1: yours be called lioness
0: then
2: what's the connection uh, more about the ferocity of a mother nice. you know because okay. you would see yeah and like and a, a, a the human soul like struggling to survive like i said because you see her life as a child there's a lot of flashbacks and then there's this pursuit to find her cub you know if you want to get into all the metaphors i like that no that's
1: good okay i have mine bring us home brother all right so my choice is passengers i don't know if either of you saw this one adam i'm betting not
2: well my wife desperately wants to but i but i have not no i'm very curious i don't know what it's about
1: You don't like Jennifer
2: Lawrence, though. And she's one of
0: only two people in the movie, so...
2: (laughs) I don't dislike her as much as I dislike someone like Katherine Heigl. So I think I could (laughs) separate her. Chris Pratt heals all wounds. All right, tell us about it, though, Jeremy. All right, so
1: essentially, passengers, is the moral conundrum asking, what would you do if, say, you were on a 120-year voyage and woke up 88 years too early. Uh, do you wake someone else up? Essentially sentencing them to death, also? It's the story of a man who stalkerishly falls in love with a girl and their ill-gotten love connection being the only ones awake on a ship of 5,000-plus people hmm. till they die before everyone wakes up. Great! Aww. <laughs> Aww. So it's, it's kind of got a lackluster ending. It, it's a good watch through because, I mean, granted, knowing the whole plot beforehand, I was like, okay, now how are they going to rope me into this? How are they going to hook me? What's the emotion? I, I mean, the whole thing is, like, Chris Pratt, Jim, as his character is called, he's awake, and nobody else is awake. He doesn't have access to anything on the ship. The crew is still asleep, the ship is beginning to malfunction, and he's, he's pretty much just Tom Hanks on Castaway, except he's got a ship full of people that he can decide to wake up, but can he mentally take the anguish of knowing if I wake this person up, they are going to
2: die too. So it is a drama then. Yes. It's like, is like, is it a very serious film for the most part? Cause like Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, I saw them in a lot of interviews and obviously they're like super goofy in all the interviews. So I was like, what is, what is the the tone of this film? It has
1: a good balance. There's lots of, I mean, granted it's Chris Pratt. So there's lots of physical comedy. Jennifer Lawrence does a fair bit of physical comedy too, but it's really, the the human element is present. The yeah. the drama aspect of it. You've got two people, and the secret is bound to come out that he woke her up. Yeah. So, how do they deal with that?
0: The trailers made it seem like this was a sci-fi action movie. Not so? Uh,
1: not so much. Hmm. The only, like, sci-fi action portion of it is when the ship starts falling apart. Like, they've got to figure out how to how to fix things like they they try to fix the pods so they can go back to sleep but there's there's a lot of trial and error and trial and fail
0: the ship malfunction is not the main like the main problem with the the movie
1: granted the the ship falling apart is the main conflict of this Hmm. movie because there's conflict between the two of them but it's drama conflict but is it a
2: metaphor is the ship falling apart their relationship (laughs) falling apart is that what we're supposed to get out of it?
1: In a way, yes, it could be, because <laughs> the ship falling apart is the one thing that drives them back together.
2: Well, let me ask this. Why do you think it's not nominated for Best Picture then? Because you felt it was snubbed. But why do you think they didn't choose it? What does it because, have going against? It? Uh, it's just... I mean, Jennifer Lawrence I, uh, has won an Academy Award, so she yeah. has cred, you know, so you would think... There's something there.
1: Right. I think it didn't get the credit because it played a little too sci-fi than rather Mm. the drama. It was advertised sci-fi rather than the drama. Mm. Like if if they'd actually just marketed it as castaway in space and having to deal with the moral aspects of essentially killing another person, then maybe there would have been a little more buzz for it. But I really felt kind of let down the ending of the movie because hmm. everybody else on the ship wakes up when they're supposed to, which is like three to four months before the ship lands. And, and then do you
2: see their dried up corpses?
1: No, you don't. You have no oh. resolution. You get nothing. <laughs> like it's, there's like, 80, 85 years unaccounted for. What the heck <laughs> happened? You see that they made a mess of the ship. <laughs> they they took the plants that were supposed to be planted on the new planet and planted them all over the ship. So the ship is now overrun with plants and <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, I want well, more. So well, that's Jeremy, why can I, I can I Can I take a movie.
2: guess at your sequel then? Your, your sequel involves a, a plucky little robot that shows up. And uh, it helps it helps them to get all the plants off the ship and, and he just it is involved in them helping set up their new world?
1: No, this is not Wally three.
2: Aww. Oh, okay, bummer. <laughs> well let's hear it then. What did okay, you come up with? Okay,
1: So <laughs> granted the the ending of passengers was just left so vague. We don't know if they had kids or anything that really happened. So, I'm picking up shortly after we left Jim and Aurora, which is Jennifer Lawrence's character, with about 85 years left before the ship lands. They're both about in their mid-30s and follow them a couple years into the future, just kind of montage up and realize that they aren't going to see the new planet but they want a legacy that will so they have kids on the ship two kids call it a boy and a girl just to be good and whatever there's variety Mm -hmm. so montage of the kids growing older up until about their mid to late teens and you'd have jennifer lawrence and chris pratt putting on old makeup getting a little older as they go and once they hit about mid to late teens they would put the kids into the med bay pod which they rig to become essentially a suspended animation pod and have both of them in there and so the kids go to sleep at that age and will wake up when everybody else does at that point show quick montage of jim and aurora aging until they're late 80s and just as they're about to uh hit the brink of death they jettison themselves into space Whoa. so no one has to deal with the <laughs> bodies wow
0: <laughs> okay so is it is it it's kind of like a, a parenthood movie like them raising the children in space not necessarily the bulk of because, the movie. no no no
1: this is all like first act this all happens oh wait so which they, part's the
0: first act pretty Up much where everything you are I right described. now yeah oh oh sorry continue yeah. so that was the ending it was very (laughs) well
1: no no once once they jettison themselves into space we'll pick up where the first movie ended with everyone waking up and finding the ship a mess and plants all over and it's at that point where the ship captain would come and give the kids access to the parents suite which also gives them access to a device with special messages for the kids that they are to open when they hit specific age marks, kind of simulating the parents aging with them. Um, And at this point, follow them through their last three months on the ship and kind of gloss over the first couple years of colonizing the new world and introduce the main conflict that would happen about five to 10 years in. And that would put the kids now mid to late twenties and beginning life. And the challenge would be, uh, it would cause the kids to rise up to the occasion, take charge and become leaders in the brave new world. And kind of take off from there.
2: Wait. So what is the conflict? You said.
1: Ah, uh, conflict is vague, vague. I have no idea okay. what the conflict would be, but it, it would <laughs> probably be some insurrection, civil warring. I I don't know exactly.
2: Well, so, but, so that was my question. Did, did you feel it would be like, but would it, would it be a, a drama like in the vein of pastors where it's like, but the brother and sister are having relationship, you know, trouble like, and, and, and like jealous of each other or something like that. Or are they going to be on opposite sides? It would or kind it... of
1: be, I guess, growing pains in the fact that they don't, They don't have the parents there to to lean on, and they'd have to grow up real fast on their own. And I I hadn't conceptualized the specific conflict and how they would play into it, Mm -hmm. maybe have them on opposite sides of it, teased throughout that they had different points of view on things, but they were raised by the same two people with no other influence, so I don't See that as a huge division in thinking between them, but Mm -hmm. maybe it's kind of open to interpretation. And if we can get a director to play it, then we can write it how we want it.
2: Yeah. Well, this is what I would think would be very interesting with this film is that if if Passengers becomes like a cult classic film, so like 30 years from now, Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, you know, are so far along in their careers and then they get called back to revisit this film so that instead of old age makeup, they're playing it with the real age, you know, like that would be very interesting, like a boyhood type thing, you know, it's like the sequel that you were expecting, you know, (laughs) happening in real time. I think that'd be pretty cool, like do it that way. Have them play the the old age
1: makeup Up and then be the young versions or the older versions of their kids on the new world okay
2: so Um, so they play themselves they play (laughs) they play their kids on green screen now and then they film their old their old person versions later wow (laughs) that's commitment definitely i
0: know you need to get link letter then in that case uh, (laughs) he's the only one with that kind of durability <laughs> oh,
2: that's cool though yeah because i think and i'll just say like this is like the like i said uh Kristen loves chris pratt so she really wanted to see passengers the other one she wanted to see is hidden figures which is another based on a true story film you know about the space program and the african-american scientist women mathematicians i think that right. that actually were able to figure out things that nobody else could and made it possible like so, like, th- those are kind of the ones that I'm looking forward to checking out. Were there any on your radar that you're maybe going to try to see before before the Oscars happen or sometime thereafter?
1: I don't have any that are on my radar as of right now.
2: Well, well the one we haven't mentioned is Arrival. Jeff, have you seen that?
0: I haven't. Uh, I know it's funny. When we first started talking about doing the show, like, that was my first thought is that, of the nine that were nominated, I was kind of like, well, Arrival, that's going to be the cakewalk because it's kind of sci fi But, I mean, it from the very moment it came out, it's been getting rave reviews, which kind of surprised me because it looked more, yeah, science fiction-y. And, again, Oscar does not like science fiction, so.
1: Right, but the talk I've been hearing about that is that it boils down to, I guess the drama is in communication. Right. Which seems to be such a huge issue these days. I suppose, so that would be kind of what I would see as possibly sneaking in dark horse and winning best picture. Maybe that would
0: be, it's be funny because like, yeah. cause I, well, and Adam, you kind of brought up, although you said you were never really into the Oscars, but for me up until maybe our, my senior year, freshman year of college, I was like, the Oscars were like the law for me, not the Mm -hmm. law, like you have to watch it, but it was like, this dictates what a good movie is. And if it's up there, then it must be a good movie. And then, um, uh, came, uh, uh, Truman show, which I still believe Truman show is the greatest film 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 to be made in our generation. And it didn't even get nominated. And I remember at the time there was outrage among even among like directors and stuff like, like Hollywood bigwigs that they said, like, how can you not nominate something like this? So I lost a lot of respect for Oscar at that time. But then for me, the shocking thing was a couple of years ago when Crash won, which Crash, for any of you that saw the movie Crash, Crash was very... Um, it was not edgy. subtle. Yes. Yeah. It was very like pointing the finger at the audience and going, we want to talk about racism, and guess what? every single one of you is racist and like, Oh my gosh, like Oscar hates that kind of stuff, but it won. And some people say it was because they were so scared of Brokeback Mountain. I don't know, but that did kind of break the rule book. So at this point I have, again, I don't think Oscar will like La La Land because it's, you know, musical and I wouldn't think he'd like Arrival because it's sci-fi, but these days, who knows, you know, there could be some, you know, something in the works where they're like let's let's shake it up man
2: we shall see we shall see one film i don't know if i am going to see it but it intrigued me it's not one of the best picture nominees but um it was under the best supporting actor uh category michael shannon got nominated for this film it's a jake gyllenhaal amy adams film called nocturnal animals and it's like this kind of like pulp noir thriller film but the premise of it is so interesting it's basically like this woman you know divorces her husband who's an author played by jake gyllenhaal amy adams and she did something to him the mystery is like you know she basically says in the trailer like you know i made a bad choice i did a bad thing to him and he comes out with this book that the title is like a pet name that he had for her And in the book, it describes all these terrible things about this woman that gets abducted and tortured and all these things. So she's seeing it as a threat and everybody else thinks she's just crazy but it actually is like laying out like this whole drama. Like you see in the trailer, like these, these characters that are essentially say killing is fun. Like that's literally one of the the lines, like somebody is like hired to go after her. And so it's like this whole, Michael Shannon, I guess plays the sheriff that's on the trail of it, but he's dying of lung cancer. Like there's all these other like time elements to it, but it just, it sounds like a pretty good, like thriller story. You know, it's probably pretty intense, which is why I'm saying I may not see it, but um th- there's a lot of interesting films that are sprinkled throughout the, the various categories there's like a few like sporting actors things like that for films that are not in the front runner for director or, or you know best actor or anything but they're still here and there so might uh might be worth a look at the the full nominees list one of these days including yeah, one, animated films
0: yeah, one adam that right, i was I would gonna say, bring up animated yeah mm-hmm. but i would say at well I'm still shocked that Pixar – I don't know what the heck happened that Finding Dory didn't get nominated. I don't – I can't fathom that one. But I was going to say, Adam, because I know my, my uh, Judy just saw uh, something that uh, I think you might – if you get into a – I feel like watching a not-80s throwback movie <laughs> mood um, that you might actually enjoy, and it was the, the Meryl Streep one, the Flor- Florence Foster Jenkins – Yeah, Yeah, what's that about? So it's, and apparently, again, it's another one of these based on a true story that she was like the worst singer in history, but she really wanted to be a singer and everyone around her kept telling her how wonderful she was. And she ended up having like a serious career where she would play like these large venues and people were clapping. And so part of the movie is kind of like, do they know how bad she is? Like some people were doing it because it was humorous, some because they're like, good for you, girl. But it's literally, it's not that she's actually a good singer. No, she's a horrible singer that ends up having this whole career as a singer for one reason or another. And uh, yeah, Judy said she, she, uh, she really enjoyed it. And it seems like something that would be up your alley.
2: Yeah, I'll have to seek that out. An unconventional character, unconventional film. So yeah see what Although I did about, feel,
0: and i do want to throw in kind of like you were saying adam because i know like not when i saw the trailer for nocturnal animals like it looks like a horror movie like that's mm-hmm. how they advertised it and it's the sad thing that for me like really came to the surface this year is that i feel like the advertising the trailers for these movies were so horrible where i mean, I remember in my wife and I were laughing at it because she actually watched an early trailer or a teaser for um, uh, uh, Hidden Figures, which told the story of it. And some of the trailers made it look like this action-packed drama where, like, they were going to launch women into space to save John Glenn. And it's like, (laughs) no, no, that's not what's happening here. And the same thing with, like, well, like Jeremy was saying, with Passengers, like, I got none of that from those trailers. I just got that it was going to be two people floating around in space trying to save a spacecraft, and that was it. And I, I don't know, like, I don't know, just the... The studios need to get people into the theaters I wonder if it if it uh, is. Yeah, kind of messing with our Well, it, it's, what, it's what to you were saying
2: movies. before, the the films that are getting the most money are not the films being nominated for Oscars, so they're trying to sell us Oscar films, you know, Oscar-worthy yeah. films as as big budget action thrillers or something, you know, to to get you in the in the, the chair cuz that's the other thing I feel about Oscar films, the real reason I don't usually go to see them. Yeah, you can enjoy all of these films in your home. Watch true. it, you know, I'm say like a human drama film, you don't need the huge sound system. You don't need, because you're not going to see a giant spaceship unless it's passengers, you know, <laughs> right? But, you know, right. Or, or a rival in this case, you know. So,
1: well, the other, the other issue is a lot of these companies are advertising to what they think people want to see. That's true. Rather than advertising the film as it is, like marketing it as it is, passengers should have been more drama based and centered around the moral conundrum that he had to sit there and debate and then how they got through it or if they did. And instead they advertised the, the space odyssey with the ship falling apart. Just, yeah.
0: Well, well, and it's interesting, which is funny. I mean, kind of the reason that we do this podcast is that we, you know, we see so many sequels and so many, you know, reboots or like let's bring a video game or a movie or, or like a, you know, TV show to, to, to the big screen. And the reality is I think a lot of that is studios playing it safe and that they know, I mean, they could take a risk with something like hidden figures where hidden figures, not that they spent a gajillion dollars on hidden figures, but they had some big names in it. And if it would have just kind of quietly made, you know, a couple hundred thousand, then they would have been like, well, or not a couple hundred, but like, you know, 30 or $40 million. They would have been like, well, that didn't work out so well, but any hunk of junk that they slap the name transformers on, they know it's going to pull in a hundred to $200 million. And so it's oh, like, no, no,
1: no, no, no. You're, you're, looking at overseas money pushing a billion right with right well yeah either
0: way so it's kind of this idea that yeah a studio would much rather play it safe and just you know, te- uh, I mean, I, I think about uh, your. Well, I don't know if it's your favorite line. My favorite line in Tommy Boy, where he talks about you know, if you want me to take a dump in a box and label it guaranteed, I will. I got it. <laughs> uh, And it's that same thing, where they're like, you know, we could just put any hunk of junk up there, and you know, throw up Captain Jack Sparrow or a transformer or two, and then you know, people will run and see it. So
2: yeah, it's dependable. It's what it's what you you work with. So um, as we close out here, I the other two I was just going to mention there are there are two more you know best picture films that we did not mention really at all because i don't think anybody saw them or Took an interest, but there's a kind of a Western film. uh It's called Hell or High Water with Jeff Bridges. Got a Best Supporting Actor nomination of for Jeff it. Jeff Bridges in it. got Jeff Bridges. <laughs> uh, so anyway, but I think it's about some brothers, and there's some murder story in that as well. But then also uh the other film was uh, it's called uh, Moonlight, which is kind of a, it, I think it's about like you know a guy in the inner city takes takes on you know has to take care of a kid, you know, a little kid. And then the guy's like a drug dealer and stuff. And it's kind of about that human side of people that you might think are kind of uh, a little less than desirable or less than trustworthy or whatever it's going to be. And now he's taking care of a child in in, in their life. So anyway, those are other films. And The Moonlight is like second to la la land as far as in being in the running really? uh for for you know for like winning you know in the odds and things i i looked up the odds in vegas i don't gamble <laughs> but i just think i know they they bet on everything they do so it was just that's true and like again it was like you know uh la la land was number one and then you had uh moonlight there so those those exist but uh getting back to the animated side of things too that's always an interesting you know choice you know because in this case we have some film called kubo and the two strings you have moana the rock uh was that a pixar film moana or was that just disney disney just disney then. then my life is a zucchini the red turtle and then zootopia which was my original choice uh until jeff kind of called me out because I had originally, when I proposed this show, I was saying, you know, well, we should, we should get into drama. We should, we should stretch our muscles here or whatever. And I was, I was backing out to do my Zootopia two pitch, but, um, I'm guaranteeing
0: you that will happen. Yeah. That's on its way.
2: And it was a great film. I mean, uh, that's like a film we watch over and over again in my house and it's, doesn't disappoint. It continues to entertain every time. And because, you know, on both sides, right? It really does have like that, that important lesson about tolerance and, and all that bigotry and things like that, you know, that you really take to heart and it, but, and I like that it's not a hundred percent sanitized. Like it's very clear, you know, what, what they're going for. So, so it's, it's nice in that way that they're so direct and the kids can really, you know, my, my kids watch it and they're just like, why does he call her a stupid dumb bunny? Why he, why he doesn't want her to be a police officer? You know, like all, all those things, you know, something, you know, it computes. He wants to understand, you know, what's going on. So I, th- I thought that was nice.
0: You I would like to say, though, just for my normal soapbox, is that the existence of the animation category would, I guess, in, turning over in his grave makes it seem like we're insulting him. But like... If, if Walt Disney was capable of getting back up and spitting on the Academy again and then dying again, <laughs> he would so do it. Because like what drove Walt Disney crazy, not literally crazy, figuratively crazy, was the fact that Oscar did not know what to do with animated movies. Because like when Snow White came out, there was no other movie that could possibly compete with its brilliance. And yet you know, Oscar, Oscar was like, "Do we give it Best Picture? Uh, uh, let's give it its own special Oscar." And Walt was so insulted by that that then you know when because wasn't it did Finding No Finding Nemo didn't get nominated? Was I think Beauty and the Beast was the only one to ever get nominated, which freaked Oscar out because they were like, uh, "How does this compute?" And so they created its own and like that's which. I mean, I guess there's pluses and minuses of it, but like for me, I I, I don't, yeah. You know, wh- why we can't judge an animated movie the same way we can judge a movie like Fences or a movie something like that, mm-hmm. or a you know a blockbuster? Do they all need separate categories? It's it's a ridiculous thing to try and judge these pieces of art to say which one is the best piece of art. But if we're gonna do it anyway, like <laughs> let's do it right. I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Uh, you know, a good story is a good story, whether or not it, you know, has animated characters or however you're going to play it out, especially, like I say, something in the case of Zootopia that's so relevant, you know, that really is not is not just like a, a goofy film that they're just throwing a bunch of jokes in for kids that, that doesn't matter. Like, it's a film that's going to teach some kids and open up their eyes and can teach adults just as well. Um, I do have a quick correction, though, uh, just at the end of the show here, as uh, I mentioned uh, earlier, that Denzel was not nominated for Best Actor, but he actually is. Oh,
0: so, right. So yeah,
2: for Fences. So he, Poor he's, he's definitely in the run. We were
0: feeling so bad for him.
2: <laughs> well, but it
0: is—it oh, would be kind of ridiculous because he has like seventy-five percent of the lines in that movie. <laughs> I would imagine, so for him yeah. not to be nominated, it's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> right. Oh, so and I would we, like. Oh, yeah. I want to throw exactly. in one more thing then, Adam, since you, you were mentioning, although you were, I was more doing trivia, but I heard, and I don't know if you knew this, that in Lion, the kid that plays the kid at the beginning is that he's, in, he's from India, and he actually does not speak a word of English, but he Correct. learned all of his dialogue phonetically. So yes. he, he just memorized the sound of the words. And so he, apparently, for those that saw the movie, said that he was brilliant, like, and he spoke it perfectly. But that those are the only things that he knows to say. And it's not like he, yeah, he just memorized the, the sounds. He,
1: he well, doesn't to, understand what he was saying, but he knows exactly. how to say it.
2: But he can convey the emotion, yeah. And the well, emotion, and, but, yeah. And it, but, I mean, it fits in the film, too, because he's a kid from India who's going to live in Australia who doesn't speak English. So, oh. to me, like, it, it shouldn't affect the performance either way, because it'll be just more true to life, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. he's... Existing now. Now I, I will just throw up my little bit of trivia. From what I understand, and Jeff, you know you've seen the film. I don't know if you ever watched the special features, but my understanding was that on Highlander, Christopher Lambert also he's French. He did not speak English. Like he just kind of learned to memorize and say the words the best he could. Uh, in that film like he, he's so anyway just I, that same vein another film snubbed for an Oscar nod <laughs> Highlander. No, no that is I, get my retro movie comment in there <laughs> okay <laughs> but as we close out I just want to say so let's just let's throw all our bets on the table I talked about Vegas let's 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 see what we got here what is our prediction Oscar predictions we're putting this out the week of the Oscars so let's see who who comes out on top uh, who what do you who do you think is going to win, Jeff? You already said not La La Land, so what do you think? I think it's going to be Manchester
0: by the Sea. That's my call.
2: Okay, Jeremy.
1: I'm siding with Jeff. So much like whispers about Manchester by the Sea, that's probably going to sneak in there and take it.
2: Okay. And I, I think just in response to the Oscar So White uh, hashtag and all of that, I think they're still trying to recover from that. I think this moonlight film is the one that's gonna like sneak up and it's gonna be just it's it's gonna hit in there like, other categories i feel like it it you know best actor and actress all that is going to go to different films but i feel like best picture is going to go to moonlight so that's my prediction so even though la la land is the front runner i think it's being put out there as a red herring i think we all agree that so uh, so you guys manchester by the sea i'm with moonlight we'll see who comes out on top uh, I think so we'll be able to tell
0: out, my guesses will be able to tell as the show is going on if La La Land starts winning and winning and winning then cuz that's what happened in the Golden Globes.
2: All right.
0: I want to thank the Academy and my wife and my family and I just want to say as all actors everywhere we stand firm and we stand in the belief that one day every single person can have an
2: opportunity.
1: <laughs> oh, very good very good jeff I've- We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended.